All right, we started this subject last week. We will spend one more week dealing with uh, not just Christian giving, although that's certainly part of it, but really something that uh, sets that up, and that is our, our finances to some degree. You say, well, Pastor, you know, you're not a financial advisor. Well, I'm not, but the Bible is to some degree. Finances are part of our testimony. They're an important part of our life. There's a lot about finances that I have no desire to know about when it comes to uh, the body of Christ. But at the same time, we have a responsibility not just to give to the church, but to provide for our families, to to uh, to have a testimony, not to be in debt. The Bible says a lot about finances, and so we want to deal a little bit with that, uh, you know, especially when it involves uh, giving to the church, because that is an issue, and, and and there are some who struggle mightily, and not because they don't have a good job, but because they just don't know how to, they've never been taught perhaps uh, how to deal with finances and stewardship, and if that's the case, I hope this to be helpful to you, and if you need to get together with uh, Jeff and I or somebody uh, to, for advice, that's a, that's an okay thing. You know, some people think, well, they're too, too proud perhaps to ask for help, but you know, sometimes we, we just need good advice. And that is certainly an area where that can be the case. So, anyway, we want to deal with that today. Last week, by way of review, we saw that Sunday gathering and the taking of offerings was something established early on in the New Testament. We saw that giving is part of our spiritual worship, yet it is to be done voluntarily, joyfully, or it is not God-honoring. Uh, it is not uh, our desire, nor is it, I think, God honoring for us to stand up here and browbeat people into giving. You give because you want to. You give, yes, it's our duty, but we do it because it is a good, we delight to do it. We we like the result of giving, right? <clears throat> and we love the Lord. Not because uh, I'm putting pressure on you or anything like that. It is to be done according to how God has blessed you financially. We'll look a little more about Today, and we also saw that churches are autonomous as to how their monies are to be spent. We saw that Christians have a responsibility to provide for each other's legitimate needs as they can. Now, what constitutes a need is established in the Bible, not by somebody's felt need. A lot of people think that anybody who's got a need, well, Christian charity requires that you give to it. Well, I think that many times just causes more problems. Laziness, refusing to work, or chronic lack of financial control is not a need that the church is going to feed. There are other spiritual uh, things that need to be dealt with there. And that's what that's a lack of financial control. Perhaps is something that you need some help in. That's a spiritual problem. It's not because you don't make enough money. Because you don't know how to spend your money, right? So those are things that are, are sometimes difficult. But that's that's okay because we're here to serve the Lord, to serve one another. We're not here to uh, be lifted up in pride, right? So um, there is a book entitled uh, "The Last Thing That We Ever Talk About." Yeah, well, in Paul's uh, version here in First Corinthians, the last thing he talks about is finances, and perhaps that uh, is on purpose. I don't know, but um, that that was the second to last thing he talked about, as we dealt with, of course, in. 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe he knew it was the last thing they wanted to hear, but I, 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 maybe for Corinthians that's true. I don't think for the average Christian, it, if it's done right, it should be that big of a problem. But I think because it has been abused by so many, 
that there's certainly, sometimes we get our hackles up when you hear about it, especially given to the church, because it is abused, and I want to deal a little bit with that today. But I don't want it to be like that here. While this text isn't about church support and giving on a weekly basis as such, it does deal with some of the principles that I think are important when it comes to how we look at our money in light of our responsibility to the church. We will deal more with that when we get to 2 Corinthians, but we must see giving as an act of obedient worship and not something that the leadership brings up now and then just to get you to part with money. And then say, I I could stand up here in a little church where our finances are not are okay. The Lord's been very good to us, but we don't have a, a, a you know we're not we're not awash with money. But I can get up here and say, um, I want you to give only as the Lord leads you, and to do it happily. And if you can't do that, don't give it. I, I'm not worried about that. I know the Lord will supply our needs, however He sees fit. But yet at the same time, it is a duty, and we want you to understand why. And the, the browbeating and, and financial raising funds and all that kind of stuff happens enough in the world. I, I, in the church, when it starts to look like the world in raising money, is a very ugly thing. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, and, uh, and as you said before, um, if you don't if you don't give cheerfully, then either you have the wrong attitude towards money, or the church is not handling money properly. You know, if you don't want to give because you feel like the church isn't handling money right, it doesn't mean you shouldn't give, but it, it's a problem. So something's wrong, right? We don't, we don't want that. But for sure, many churches and religious organizations have brought this upon themselves by looking to the world as a, uh, an example of finding support. I read of a synagogue in suburban Minneapolis who took some of its members to court to collect unpaid pledges. The judge actually ruled that the pledges that ranged from about $160 to $1,000 were legally binding, so they were forced to give that money to the church. You know, and, they, and of course, this is a Jewish synagogue, so it's not a Christian church as such. But can you imagine, you know, these people had, in many cases, left the church already, and they were required to give to the church. So the testimony, the, the, the hard feelings that that would create, which what an awful thing. I was reading about a Catholic church board who asked its members to contribute half of the savings that they got from a recent federal income tax uh, cut. So, you know, here everybody they knew everybody got tax cuts, so they said, we want you to give part of that to the church. And I'm thinking, you know, is this really the spirit of giving? And, of course, we have bake sales and bazaars and bingo games. I say we in the collective sense. We don't do that, but. That's become accepted means of providing for the church and additional funds. You could even hire a professional fundraiser. Uh, there's one denomination who uh, would send new clergy their uh, a, a financial uh, kit, uh, a fundraising kit, so they so they knew how to get the money. You know, but that's not what it's, that's not what Christianity is about. It doesn't mean that that's not part of Christianity, because because the church, the local church, is part of Christianity, and it's there for a purpose. And without funds, you can't have that, like, like you know, in a, in a real sense. So it's part of it, but it's not what it, it's not about making money or the church getting a, getting a bunch of money. 
I even read about uh, priests giving uh, people a chance to do a little good with the money that they gained because they did so many bad things. So, of course, as priests, they would hear confessions of some bad things that people did, and they would suggest as part of their penance, instead of saying, uh, you know, seven Hail Marys, you need to give some money to the church. And, and that's your penance. And, and, you know, just what a horrible, it's, it's, the confession is a horrible thing to start with, but that, that just makes things worse. Then, then finally, I, I read about some churches even have lower rates, I guess tithing rates, just to attract new members. So that, that's the ridiculous part of it, the, the ungodly part of it. We don't want any part of that. Now, and I certainly, as a pastor, do not want to know what people give. Uh, that's a necessary evil, I guess, for the treasurer. But when I say necessary evil, I mean tongue in cheek. I know, I know that there are pastors and churches where the, the, the church or the leadership does know exactly what people give. And I don't, I don't want any part of that, you know, because it's between you and the Lord and all that. Um, you know, it's just because, and I don't because I, first of all, I don't want to know it because I don't want to think about it when I'm dealing with people, but I want the Holy Spirit to motivate you, not me. And I certainly don't want to treat somebody differently because I think perhaps in that area they, they, they could do better. Because there's a lot of areas that we all could do better. So we've got to be very careful about that kind of stuff. But notice that Paul refuses to have a fundraiser when he comes to pry the money out of their wallets. But he does expect them to have enough discipline with their finances to lay aside some every week to store it up. So that when he gets there, uh, he can get the money and he can go. And most of our financial problems are a direct result of the lack of discipline or that the church, the Lord and the church aren't always part of the equation when we spend. So, when we, we're talking a little bit about how much should I give, and we're, we're going to talk about a lot of things that will set that up, and we'll, we'll deal with that towards the end. But first of all, you've got to have your finances in order. And if I was preaching this in some, you know, little village in Africa where they were just barely eating by, it would be a different sermon. It would be based on biblical principles because it's that's the Bible was written two thousand years ago. This was written two thousand years ago. But it would be a little different. But I'm also preaching to people who live in, at this point anyway, in a country where you could go out and get a steady job. It's, uh, there's just very little excuse not to in our world today. Now, it might not be a lot of money, but it's something steady. So that's an assumption that I, 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 I you know, keep it in mind. And I know that things happen. We'll deal with, with some of those things. But, no matter what your situation, discipline, self-discipline is a is a big part of being a Christian because we are to say no to self, right, so that we can serve the Lord. So I don't I don't I don't apologize for that. On one level, your finances are your business. I'm happy for it to stay that way, not the churches. On the other hand, since it is part of our testimony, and because that is how the church. Uh, Functions. Sometimes we need help, and we need teaching from God's Word on not just finances as such, but more so on self-discipline. And as we always do, no matter what subject we're dealing with, the, the 
first motivation is that we are to love the Lord. Because you will never give to the Lord if you don't love the Lord, right? And, and so if that's not your motivation, then whatever reason, other reasons you're giving uh, are, 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 are irrelevant. You give because you love Christ. And then we always begin there. But self-control is part of the overall topic of finances. Because if you can't control your spending, then that becomes a spiritual issue. And none of us are free to say, well, um, all this is it's my business, nobody else's business. Because because when it becomes a spiritual issue and sin, then, it, then of course it's everybody's business. In that sense, you know, it, it, is, it is a business of the church, a business of the elders, to uh, encourage each other to do what is right. And as we said, I, I, we don't beg for money because we don't need the world's money. We don't need their funds. We don't need things given begrudgingly. Uh, if you don't want to give, don't. But I don't. By, by that, I don't mean that it's okay not to if your motivations are right. But the right thing to do is figure out why your motivations are wrong. That you don't give. You don't. You don't give sacrificially. You know, it, 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 something's wrong, right? So just because. Uh, the tithe should be given cheerfully and willingly. Doesn't mean that if it isn't, well, then I just won't do it. You know, if your, your, your motivation is wrong, you change the motivation. Duty and right is just that, regardless of our feelings. And if you aren't motivated, ask the Lord to expose to you why. Um, so today I want to look well at what the Bible says about how much to give and how the term tithe fits into that because we said last week the word tithe is really an Old Testament term and it's used a lot today but I don't want you to think that just because it's an Old Testament term that it's being used out of context and it really doesn't apply to us because I think it does apply to us and I'll, I'll deal with that as we go along. We all know that traditionally a tithe is 10% of your income. Uh, the word tithe means 10%. When Abraham tithed to Melchizedek he gave a 10% of his of, of that that which he had when he went and he got his goods back, um, and uh, so that's has always been kind of a traditional suggestion for Christians to give under weekly giving to give ten percent. Well, that's a good starting place. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, while in a pragmatic sense, we might say that works well because it would allow even a small church if you've got you know just kind of. Theoretically, if you've got ten people who have a steady income and they all tithe, they would be able to support a pastor to have a salary in the, the mean uh, his, his salary would be about the mean average, the average of that of those ten people, right? So, in, in a pragmatic way, it just kind of makes sense. But there's other things to think about as well. Um, we can certainly do a lot worse uh, than giving 10%, and I, I think 10% is a good place to start. Uh, it is the, the, old, the Jew, the Old Testament Jew, uh, gave 10%, but we know that he also gave more than that, but a lot of that was kind of with, coincide with our taxes, government taxes and all that. But he gave uh, every bit of 10%. And, but again, if, if the Lord set that up, the Old Testament are principles that we can look at and learn from and uh, glean from. So, again, so I think 10% just, just you know, 
thinking about where do I start giving, that that would just make a lot of sense. We do notice that Paul here says you are to give in relationship to your income. As the Lord has blessed you, we saw that, I think it was over in Acts 4. So there we see a percentage. So again, there's a reason why people, well, this is the way you know people have dealt with this, is because you look at what how the Lord has blessed you, and then you, according to that, you give. So, so there's a percentage in all that. The Proverbs of three nine through ten is a good place in the Old Testament, perhaps to start with. It says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce." And remember. That would be, they would take the initial part of that and they would give to the Lord of, of what they, before they ever reaped it, before they ever uh, used it. So the same idea. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And we'll, we'll deal with the motivation here as composed to the motivation for our giving because what we don't want and what I think is an abuse of all this is for people to say that if you give, then you will, the Lord will bless you financially. You'll, you know, you can't outgive God, so you, you give because He's going to get it one way or another. Well, that's not to me. It's not a good motivation. In other words, they say, "Well, you know, I, I don't want to give to the Lord. I'm not going to give anything." And so I've heard preachers say, "Well, He'll just get it because you'll, He'll get an unexpected medical bill." Well, that might be true, but I don't think that's what I don't think that's the motivation that, that God wants is. You, you give, because if you go, I'm going to get it one way or another. Our God is too great for that. Our God, we love God. We don't give because we're afraid if we go, we're going to get spanked in some way. But we'll deal with that here in just a moment, because to the Old Testament Jew, this was a legitimate uh, verse here in, in motivation. Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him himself. So there's a principle there that uh, you can give and not worry about. The Lord will take care of you. Remember when the Jewish men three times a year had to go to Jerusalem? God says, don't worry about you, but I, your uh, family and your belongings, I will protect them. And she had kind of a principle there that uh, we can give and we, we can trust the Lord because we know that he's going to take care of us and there's blessings to be had by in obeying the Lord. So there's a principle there of giving and giving generously and that you find favor in the Lord. Um, now, there's another verse here that I think it, it says the same thing, but it's been used, I think, in ways that miss the point. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, there were, here, you know, they were withholding their tithe and they were having trouble supporting the temple and so forth. And the Lord, you know, says, look, trust me, uh, pay your tithes, and I will take care of you. And he goes on to say, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. 
But you say, how are we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions. So, there's a principle that the Lord expects them to give. The Lord expects us to give. But I've heard preachers take these verses out of Malachi and say, look, you know, if you will give, the Lord will uh, make sure that you have plenty. And, and I think it kind of ruins the motivation here that we are to give to the Lord, but we don't give because uh, we, we don't want the Lord to take money from us, and we want to get you know, so we want to make money. No, we don't. We don't give for those reasons. And so you got to read these in an Old Testament context. Um, these verses are more. Are, are, are important for us, I believe, but they can be dangerous for those whose theology, I think, is a little deficient. Without question, at least in part, the promised blessings here to the Jew was financial prosperity. But remember, they lived under a covenant in which if they served the Lord well, they had land, they had peace, they had fruitful crops, they had uh, many children, the the blessings of the old covenant were physical. So when God says, when you obey me and do what's right and keep covenant, I will bless you physically, well, that's the covenant they lived under. But we don't live under that covenant. I've, I've talked about this before. So when the Lord says, you know, give and be generous and I will bless you, we understand that the blessings we need aren't necessarily physical. Will the Lord take care of us physically as he sees fit? Yes. But I want the Lord to bless me in a way that I am pleased in serving Him. And in the New Testament, we, we learn that sometimes that means the Lord's going to take away your income. In Hebrews, it says that these people, the early Christians, were visiting people who had been arrested for their faith and by, in jail. They visited them in jail. And by doing so, they exposed themselves as Christians, and they joyfully let people plunder them. They let the government come in, the powers that be plundered them, and, 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 and imprisoned them or whatever, for the sake of Christ. And so, a preacher, you know, some health and wealth gospel preacher comes along and says, you know, if you guys give to the church, uh, you're, the Lord's going to give you, uh, multiply that tithe, well, they just got they just got everything taken away from them. So it's it's just it's it's nonsense. It's spiritual nonsense. It's biblical nonsense. The Lord will bless those those people who who have their possessions plundered are in glory now. They're, they're, they stand with with the vision of of Christ. They've been rewarded amply. Right? Remember, Jesus says that you will receive a hundredfold houses, wealth, family, and so forth. If not in this life, in the next. So it's coming. But I don't give to get money. And that's the point here. I want us to understand. And to understand. If we don't understand the difference in covenants, we really, I think that's why a lot of people really struggle when it comes to the whole health and wealth gospel issue. So the bigger question is, what do these blessings look like under the new covenant, right? And so the health and wealth people see this as financial and physical, as if we still live under the same conditions Israel did. But if we think for a moment, we look around at this church or any church, are we to assume that everyone's health and wealth is in proportion to their giving to the church? 
You see somebody who's laid up, who's sick, somebody who's been devastated financially, or whatever, and we can say, well, you know, they, they must not give to the Lord. They, they must not give a good tithe because, look, the Lord's taking that money from us. And so if you just stop and think about this, I think it would help us not falling into some of the uh, problems that some have, some of the, the error that some have. It's a misuse of God's word, and it would devastate people. Because if you live by the health and wealth gospel, as soon as you lose money or lose health, then there's only one uh, way to look at that, and that you've goofed up somewhere. But in the Old Testament, their physical suffering was tied directly to their sinfulness, or at least to the kings. But in the New Testament, we are told that it is the calling of every saint to suffer for the Lord. And in many cases, to suffer very much. You think someone who's burned at the stake and, and their possessions were given to others and, and somehow they didn't have faith, trust the Lord? No, those people will see the greatest reward in heaven. Paul was one of the greatest men of faith. And even he had to learn to be content in poverty and persecution. And he saw it as a way to spread the gospel, which goes back to new covenant blessing. If the Lord taking away my job and reducing me materially is a way for me to be a, a, a witness for the Lord, then I have to be happy about that. And I have to praise the Lord for that. And that's certainly the case with Paul. Notice what he says here. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Remember, we went through this. He's speaking satirically here. You are held in honor, but we are in dispute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When we bow, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. These super apostles are coming in saying that, you know, if you uh, do right, well, you'll be, God will bless you physically. And Paul says, well, what, what are you saying about the apostles? Look at us. It's bad theology. And so I say all this so that no one gets crass in this matter and decides that giving more so that their life will improve in some material or physical way, uh, if that's why you're giving or think that you're supposed to give, you're missing the whole point. We give because the Lord deserves it. We give because we believe in the work that the church is doing. We believe in, in, in the evangelism of the, of the, of the missionaries. And so forth, we give because we want to have a pastor who will preach the word of God to us. That's why we give, because we love the Lord and we love the Lord's work. We don't give to get in this world. So as sinners saved by grace, should not our greatest desire be that we have opportunity to magnify the name of the Lord among men? Can you name one physical blessing that is more important or better than that? See, you gotta, you gotta get your mind set on what is a, what is a blessing? A blessing is not something that makes me feel good. It's something that may, helps me serve the Lord. 
It's not unusual for someone to say, well, they're going through a difficulty, but at least they have their health. Now, there's, that's, that could be an appropriate thing. Probably I've said that. There's, there's cases where that would be true and I think appropriate. But the, the thing about it that I don't like is that, uh, you say it as if having your health is, nothing else matters. As long as I have my health. Well, there's a lot of good saints who have never had their health. And that's not the, the, the best thing. It's an important thing. It's a, it's a very nice thing. But sometimes we need to not have our health because that's the way the Lord is going to use us to serve and to glorify his name. Lots of Christians who didn't have their health. So, again, just be careful. Think about these quaint sayings that we have. And sometimes this is the whole point. But what's important is that just, I, I have Christ. If you have a, a child who's in poor health, perhaps a child who's not going to make it to adulthood, what's important is not their health. What's important is that they know Christ. That, be, that you'll be with them in glory someday. Right? <clears throat> so, just some things we need to, to remember. Jesus tells us to pay our taxes in part because of the same principle. The, the government can't function without taxes. Now, again, there's a, that's a whole subject we can talk about there. But the church can't function. So there, there's a there's pragmatic reasons why we give, but there's got to be more to it. There's got to be a again, love is the fulfillment of the law. No matter what you're doing, if it's not done properly through love, it's not obedience to Christ. So once we understand that our proportion of giving isn't based on financial return, now we can move on. It's, it's, we want to get you how much should I put in the plate, but we're going to take our long detour for we to get there. We've got to get that motivation figured out. Another biblical principle is found in Exodus 25. We Remember we went through this uh, some time ago. Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. Uh, this is, of course, to build the temple of the tabernacle. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. <clears throat> so, twice, the people who are to give are the ones who are, was, did so from the heart. They had the proper motivation. Verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart was stirred in him. There's a third time. Everyone whose spirit moved him. Fourth time. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its services and for the holy garments. <coughs> we know that eventually Moses had to restrain them because they gave so much. And we haven't quite got there in this church yet. Uh, but, but that was a different situation. We understand that. But uh, I, I, you know, you have to love it when you when you can say because you know what church or what any organization you, you find an organization out there today that says you know what we've got enough money we don't want any more I've never seen it. I'll be sixty four end of the end of the week I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it and, and so that's that's pretty neat but uh, it, it goes but you see here how their our motivation. Was all, was, it was everything. The moving of the Spirit was not an audible voice that says, you need to give. I think it was that they wanted to see the house of God built. 
They wanted the worship of God to go forth. There was a movement in which they wanted to help build a tabernacle because it was an important work to them. And that's why you should give to the to your, in your weekly giving to the church. And this goes back to the fact that our giving must be free will offerings or the Lord doesn't want it. And neither do we. Now, it's not to say that he shouldn't be given, but again, when I say that, I think some people think that and say, well, you know, you said that if you, you can't give to this church, then go find a church that you should you can give to. Well, in a sense, yes, fine, do that. But the, the bigger issue would be, why don't you want to give to the church? You know, that, that's what I'm getting at there. It's kind of a little, you know, just overstating the, the point there. But uh, in, um, remember when we went through, in Second Samuel, David bought the threshing floor of a Puna, and uh, uh, Puna was going to give it to him. David says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offering to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And this speaks to the fact that our motivation must be right, but proper motive, but proper giving is sacrificial. In other words, proper giving is not me just for a show, whipping out five bucks, twenty bucks, whatever, throwing the plate when it goes by. It is thought about, it is based on what a serious gift to be helpful to the church. You see, there were David, I'm not going to, this, worshiping God is far too important for me to do it without sacrifice. And that, I think, is certainly a principle that we need to understand when it comes to how much should I put in the plate. Giving a couple of bucks every week speaks of what the Lord means to you. David says, such giving is to despise the Lord, and I won't do it. So all this begins then to get down to the amount that we give. We give you another verse here in Luke. Chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be into your lap? For with measure you use it, will be measured back to you. So here's the Lord using Old Testament principles. If you give, the Lord will bless you. Um, and so we certainly can say that. You say, well, you know, 10%, maybe more than 10%. That's a big chunk of my income. And, uh, yeah, but the Lord says that don't worry about it. You'll be okay. I'll take care of you. You might not be able to have everything you want, but, but you'll be okay. And so the Lord uses that principle. Paul says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And these are Old Testament principles. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So it's not wrong to, in your giving, to realize that um, this is God's will for me and that I'll be okay. The Lord will take care of me. And, and I might not have the money that I would have had, but I will be okay, and I, and I will be the better for it, spiritually. Thank you. 
much more to it than that. Any questions or comments before we go to the song? All right, though. Have a good week. See you next time.